We're now really going to try to get into the whole armor of God. And so if you have last week's handout, just leave it in your, in your notebook because I've done a little revision, not much, little revision, and we've redone it. So last week we had too much material and not enough time. And then I kind of got carried away and got excited and uh, started preaching and we didn't even take up an offering. So probably uh, we'll, we'll just try to teach tonight. Uh, but I can't guarantee you anything. Um, if you have a handout and you're ready, you may be seated. I thank you for standing. So let's just go right to the handout because it has the scripture on it. And you can open up your Bible also to the scripture. Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 6. Now this is Bible study and we study the Bible because the Bible makes us wise. In fact, the Bible says it makes us wise unto salvation. So let's go back to Brother Woodward's lesson. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Brother Foster has quoted that in his morning manna. The initial salvation is obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's without controversy. Jesus said a man must be born again of the water and spirit. You can't add anything to it or take anything away from that. Those are the words of the Lord. No one's wiser than what Jesus said because he said he's the door. Now take it from the door how to get in. If you want to know how to get into heaven, take it from the man who said he's the door. Um, and he said a man must be born again of water and of the spirit, right? So this is, this is not a negotiable This is not a man-made concept. And the water and the spirit are clearly baptisms. Someone has to be baptized. Jesus was the perfect example. He's a man without sin, and yet he was baptized of John the Baptist. In fact, John didn't even want to baptize Jesus. He said, I'm not even worthy to unloose your shoes. But Jesus wanted to be baptized as an example. And Peter came along and said, hey, remember Noah, just as Noah was saved by water, even so baptism doth now also save us. So, This was the typology of the flood baptism. I don't have the right to say that someone is going to heaven outside of the words of Jesus because he said no one's going to enter heaven or see the kingdom of God without being born again. He said, don't marvel, you've got to be born again. So those are the words of Jesus. And then comes the last part, or, or lastly comes the the final salvation, when you walk through the pearly gates, you can finally breathe a sigh of relief. You won't be worried about who's there. You'll be grateful that you're there. You won't turn around to someone and say, you made it? Oh my gosh, you made it. (laughs) It'll be joy. It'll be peace. And we mourn for people who die. We we weep. I I get it. I, I do it. But if, if, if you could be where they are, resting in the arms of the Lord, or if you could see the life past this life, you, you wouldn't cry. That's why the Bible also says we should weep when someone's born and rejoice when they pass away. We've got it, we've got it backwards, don't we? And why is it? Because we are temporal. 
Because we see things so temporal and we see things so physical. Everybody say physical. And that's where I need to be tonight. We are teaching something that is not physical. So let's look at what is not physical because in the natural world, um, there are things that can be handled. But there are some things that cannot be handled unless you are in the spiritual world. Little children, ye are of God. He said, we are of God. John said, we are of God. So when you were born again, you entered into a new kingdom. Yes, you are an American citizen, but that's temporary citizenship. There's a higher law than the law of this land. It's the law of Jesus Christ. We follow the law of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the law of the land is in conjunction with his law. And sometimes the law of the land is, is opposed to the law of Jesus Christ. The higher law is always of God. So that means we have to live a different life. And we don't compare ourselves to other people because we are spiritual people. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are very spiritual. Tell him, tell him you're spiritual. Thank you for being spiritual. Did you tell him? Thank you. You didn't do that. Well, some of you don't believe that of your neighbor. But you are. Here we go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It seems now that Paul is going to give us the ingredients of strength and power. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There we go. We're not, we're not talking about the physical. But against principalities. Pause, underline the word principalities. That's a government. We wrestle against a spiritual government. Within that government, there are demonic spirits waging war against the saints of God night and day. I don't want to frighten anyone. I just want you to know there is an all-out war for your soul, for your faith, for your walk with God. The devil's going to fight you every step of the way. He wants to take you down. He wants to destroy your life. He'll do everything he can to do that. He'll pull out all the stops. It's a principality. The principalities are just like a world grid. There are particular spirits in different parts of the world. If you talk to our missionaries in China, they deal with different spirits in China than we deal with in the United States. If you go to Europe, there are different spirits in Europe than there are in Asia. Africa has their own spirit world. It's an all-out fight. And the spirit world has been engaged in this battle for thousands of years. Don't ever think you're smarter than the spirit world. They've been working on mankind for a long time to destroy the souls of mankind. Principalities against powers. This is, it's not ominous, but, it's, but, it's, but it means that there is a power that is against the power of the Holy Ghost. The spirit world is a power against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are hierarchies in spirit world. Just like we have presidents and governors and administrators and magistrates and, and, and clerks, there are also powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So 
Here is his proposition to the church. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. So I'm directing your attention to this portion of scripture. As I taught last week, we're not, we're not discussing the specifics of your unique armor. David had unique armor. As I spoke last week, remember, if David, and I propose this, if he would have used the armor of King Saul, David would have died because David said he had not proved them. His shield, his sword did not fit David's body. It wasn't made for him. David had a proved weapon. It didn't look like much. Saul was filled with carnality, cold in the spirit, and he demeaned David's weapon of choice, the slingshot. This happens a lot. This happens a lot. People don't believe that someone else can pray the prayer of faith over them because they don't have respect to their weapon of choice. And the weapon of choice that they might employ might be a very well-planned-out, thought-out prayer, but the person who's praying might only have a slingshot and that prayer might be simplistic or a childlike prayer. They might even stumble around. Don't ever demean a proven weapon of another brother or sister. That might be the very thing that gives you the victory. You might think that they're too young. I've seen this many times. Little children praying for people. Oh, that's so cute. They're not cute. Well, they are cute. I'm sorry. They're cute. They're very cute. But they're powerful, powerfully cute. <laughs> I see these children. Yes, they're darlings. I love them. And yes, sometimes they're, they're eating Mentos and sometimes they're speaking in tongues. But it's okay. Sometimes they pray and sometimes they just sleep on the front row. I, I see it all right here. But don't think that their prayers are insignificant because they have a faith that's, that's not been dented and torn up and beat up by life like all of us. They believe God can do anything because they believe their Sunday school teacher said Jesus can do anything. And they walk in here and they pray, you can do anything without any hint that there's a possibility that it won't happen. So just so you know, David had to use his own slingshot and he did so effectively just like we are commissioned with unique abilities in the church for the benefit of the whole body. But Paul will offer Ephesians chapter 6, not as unique armor, but as a corporate declaration that every individual needs to employ the whole armor of God. And here's your points about the armor. He described the whole armor implying that partial applications are not going to be enough. So when you go down this list, 
And as we go through this, you might recognize, I'm not doing that. That's not part of my life. You have to put on the whole armor of God. He didn't just say put on the armor. He was very specific. All of these parts are critical to the believer. All of them. Number two, Paul offers protection for those who are forward moving. All of the armor is protecting people from the front, not from the back. <laughs> you're, you're much better protected and you're much better in defense when you're marching forward. Don't ever turn around. When you turn around and give up, that's when you get wounded the most. When people get discouraged, disenfranchised, hurt by someone else, and they say, you know, I, I remember the guy that said in the church parking lot when I was a little boy, I think I'll just step back a little while. I, I'm not going to come as much. And because he did that, his, his spiritual life was severely affected. He lost his commitment. He lost his dedication. And there was great attacks of the devil in his life, of the enemy of his life, that ruined him. And to this day, although I pray that he would, he never made it back. Because he walked away. All of the armament protects a soldier moving forward. Never in retreat. Number three, Paul refers to the evil day which is a specific time for both the church and for the individual, the evil day. You might have a specific time when you need to fight a spiritual battle. I don't have to go through the list and it's, not, it's unfair for me because I know so many personal stories about so many of the saints that have fought spiritual battles. A very wicked moment came, a very evil day came and you fought a spiritual battle. But there's also a spiritual battle coming for the church, the likes of which we have not ever seen. It's coming. Can you feel that? When I say it, do you know it's coming? Do you know that America may not stand forever? I pray that it does. But in the end time, we can barely find the traces of America in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Only twice it's only recognized as a man who stands and as eagle's wings. But the wing is missing in the very end. And the man who's standing is missing. We're the only nation who has two emblems, Uncle Sam and an American eagle. Those things are not mentioned in the final, in the, in the, in the final days of time. We have great confidence in ourselves because we think we're invincible. But we are not invincible. We're a baby nation, some 240 Two or 43 years old. We're a baby nation. We've never been overrun. Europe has been overrun for thousands of years. Bloodshed. We've never seen it. Only 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. So don't take confidence that America is going to stand forever. We don't have evidence in the scripture that we will. An evil day will come. That's why when I say, come on, let's get in the church. Let's love the days we have. Let's do the best we can. Jesus said, the night cometh when no man can work. He said, work the work of him while it's day. The night cometh, no man can work. We don't even know what that means, but the night is going to come and no man can work. Trust me when I tell you, actually trust the Bible when Jesus said, the only time you're going to work is in the day, but the night comes because the night's going to overtake the day. 
What does that mean? It means sin. It means world conflict. It means now we have a time to evangelize, to all be evangelists. There'll come a day when you won't be able to do what you're doing right now today. Of course, it makes me pause and realize we've lost healthy respect and fear of the end time. But I would just say there's an evil day. You might, you might specifically face it, but there'll come a day for the church also. Number four, Paul presents a spiritual battle void of physical interaction. I called it the invisible war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. A spiritual battle. The forces of the enemy. Wickedness in high places. The Bible calls him and of his legions the spirit of the power of the air. We know this today in a more clear way in the airwaves. Some of the things that Paul wrote under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit could not fully be grasped in the day in which he spoke it, nor could, nor could the words of Jesus be realized. They didn't know that he was going to die even a few days before he died. They never got it. He said if the Son of Man be lifted up, he would draw. They didn't understand what he was talking about. The Son of Man be lifted up. They might have thought, hey, you're going to be famous. Lifted up meant a cross. In fact, after the cross, the Bible says, then they remembered what he said. Many of the things that Jesus said were prophetic things that didn't happen in the days of Jesus Christ or the early church. And they, and they have happened in our time. The reunification of Israel in our time. Can you imagine? The reunification of Israel in our time. This is the mystery of the scripture still unfolding before the eyes of the learned. Knowledge shall increase, the Bible says. Knowledge has increased exponentially today more than ever before. We have more knowledge than we've ever had. In fact, when we look back to see where we've come from, even a handful of decades ago, it's astounding what we can do. Medical technologies, information technologies, computer technologies, the graphing of the earth, the ability to take pictures of the seabed without ever diving down to the seabed. Lewis and Clark had to traipse through the new continent to grid out portions Portions of a trail. Today we can do that from the satellite. We have a Hubble telescope that's reaching galaxies beyond. We're measuring stars. Google of light years away. We have no idea. Even today we don't know. How much information that we have. It's incredible. Facial recognition and 5G and cell migration and the like. It's incredible. Today we're living in the very last moment of time. What we're involved in is a spiritual battle for the lives of people. Just take your faith and to take your joy and steal you. The Bible says, Jesus said, the enemy cometh not but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I've come that you have life. It's a polar opposite. He wants to kill your relationship, steal your joy. He, if he can do it, he'll do it. This is a spiritual battle. You're going to have to have spiritual warfare and armament to make it. Yes. Number five, Paul's admonition 
does not require spiritual giftings. Don't think that you have to have one of the nine gifts of spirit. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about spiritual depth, that you have to understand all the things of the forces of the enemy or callings. There are no specific callings to put on the whole armor of God. It really doesn't matter what calling you have in the church. And remember, this is God's house. We all have different callings and different positions, different authorities. But the Lord is the head of this house. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor and labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman walketh but in vain. So Paul's admonition to take on the whole armor of God does not refer to people who are unique in their gifts or their callings or their positions or their authority. Every person from the newest believer to the one who has great tenure in the Lord must do this to survive. So we're talking about the whole armor of God. Now the armor of God needs to be approached in a certain way. Though I am sometimes, not always, but I'm sometimes concerned that this portion of scripture is not, has not garnished much attention. And so the modern believer, though they should look at the scripture and study it, they've employed different tactics thinking that those other things that they've decided, perhaps spiritual pursuits, will be just as beneficial as the whole armor of God. They are not. The word is written for you. The whole armor of God. And you need to approach it with a certain alertness or, or maybe even sobriety to be alert. This is what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He woke them up a couple of times. They were, they were sleeping they were stones throw away. And on the most important night of his life, Jesus is going to pray. He's about to enter the path. He's going to take one step on the path to the crucifixion. And he needs his men, now once 12, now 11, to pray with him. They fell asleep. The last time he wakes them up, he says this. Sleep on. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Now, not the Holy Spirit. Your personal will, you'd like to do it, but you got too much flesh. You're not alert. Paul wrote, be sober, be vigilant, for the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be diligent. You must approach the armor of God with great diligence, alertness, and sobriety. It's not a laughing or a foolish matter if you want to survive. That's right. Hmm. Hmm. If I could pull back the curtain in midair with my hand right here, right now, and rip the curtain back, and instead of seeing the backdrop that you're looking at, you would see a spiritual world uncovering like an invisible curtain. If I could pull it back, and you can see the demonic forces waging war against the spirit world and the angelic forces of the Lord. It would probably frighten you if you ever had a vision of it or saw it in real life. 
No movie, no television show, no drama, no Broadway, no animatronics could really depict what's happening in a reality just beyond this dimension. Yes. There's a prayer. Daniel's praying the prayer. He's used to getting an answer right away. He's a powerful prophet. Daniel is bold like nobody's bold. Daniel is, when you looked up boldness in the Bible dictionary, there's a picture of Daniel. He's bold. He speaks. He stands. He prays when it's illegal to pray. In fact, he doesn't just pray, but when he prays, they sign an ordinance that no one could pray. He didn't just go to his house and pray. The Bible says he opened up his windows to pray. He wanted to make sure they knew. How about that? You talk about a protest. Daniel was the first protester that I could find in the Bible. He was throwing down, come get me. And he prayed. He prayed so everyone could hear him. He prayed purposely so they could catch him if they were going to do it. Do you have that boldness? You got that? I don't want to make a bad name for the Lord. Hey, Paul said, if you're Jesus, God said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got to stand up and be, you got to be unafraid. But you can't be unafraid if you don't have any armor on. It's a spiritual battle. And three weeks, there was no answer. And when the answer came, Gabriel came to give him the answer. Gabriel is the archangel. He's the messenger archangel. Of all the hosts of heaven, God sent Gabriel to give Daniel the answer. This is, this is because God's good. It's also because Daniel's powerful. <laughs> and the message must have been very important. And Gabriel, the archangel, who was also the one who delivered the message to Joseph and Mary and the name of Jesus... Gabriel says to Daniel, I would have come sooner, but there was a war in the heavenlies. And he names a spiritual darkness, the prince of Persia, a spirit, withstood me. See, a human form can't withstand an angelic being. It was a spiritual demonic power. And he said, but Michael came to make war. Michael the second of the third archangel came to make war. Michael, the archangel, he made war against the prince of Persia and released Gabriel to deliver the message. There is a spiritual battle taking place for you, for your mind, for your marriage, for your children, for your health, for your faith, for your belief, for your boldness. There's a spiritual battle over everything you do. The devil is after you. He wants to destroy you. And I know that we don't want to give the devil credit. I'm not giving him credit. I'm just pointing out to you. There is a spiritual battle. You need to put on the whole armor of God so you can stand the wiles of the devil. He's coming after you. He's coming after your babies. He's coming after your parents. He's coming after everything. He's coming after your mind. There's a, there's a spirit world. It's a demonic spirit world. Mm -hmm. And so when you approach it, you need to approach it with sobriety. And here is the scripture. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist, your loins with truth. So I'll just call it the belt of truth. See, truth holds things in place. All your revelations and giftings and spiritual functions are supported by the binding power of truth. You take out truth and, it, and your revelations and your ideas and your theologies won't stand up. You have to have truth. Truth in the inward part. 
truth in the inward part. It's the belief. I know, I know what I know. You got to know that you know that you know. No one can dissuade you. You have to have truth. Truth is the only remedy against the lie. Truth. And truth is a belt. It holds everything together. Look, we've all gone through troubling times, but we have the truth. The truth begins here. You had the truth. The truth begins in the word. The truth begins in the gospel. It holds the whole church together, the truth. Then Paul said, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and righteousness are very closely related. Unrighteousness gives power to Satan. And he gives power to Satan over the one who practices it. One man wrote, truth is being right and righteousness is doing right. Truth is being. Jesus did not try to prove anything. He just went about doing good. He didn't come telling everybody he was the Messiah. He just came doing the works, he said, of the one who sent me. (laughs) He said, judge me by my works. That's what he said. And they could not refute what he had done. In fact, when the lame man that was healed at the gate called Beautiful, when they refuted Peter and John, they, they had the same problem that they had in John chapter 9. The lame man and the blind man stumped the Pharisees and all the naysayers. The Bible says they could say nothing against it. When you have evidence of doing right, no one can attack that because there's evidence of it. And there's something about having a defense mechanism of just doing what's right. And I don't know what mother started this. Incidentally, you know, Mother's Day is, is uh, Sunday. And I'm sure they're going to give away some stuff to the mothers again. They can't get enough. So there may be some more drawings. I don't know. And some mother probably said it to her son. It's been repeated a long time. If you do what's right, you tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. If you do what's right and you tell the truth, you won't have to, have to remember what you said. <laughs> My mother told me that a lot because I could never remember what I said. <laughs> Think body armor, righteousness, doing what's right. See, lies have a tough time penetrating people who speak truth and live truth and are truthful. Confidence in the spirit comes from many places, not the least of which is truth telling, to tell the truth, to speak it, to speak the righteousness, the goodness of God. That's being truthful. It is a defense and the breastplate protects the heart. Truth protects the heart. The heart becomes corrupt when I don't have the truth protecting it. Jeremiah 17, 9. Let's go with that one. I'm pretty sure. Bible quizzing has been a long time ago. I got the scriptures, not always the reference. 
Jeremiah 17, 9. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You trust your heart. You better not trust your heart. You better protect it with truth. Your heart will lead you down back bad roads and dark paths. It'll condemn you. Your heart will lead you in the wrong place. It'll make you do the wrong thing. And it'll condemn you. Because John said, even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. You don't trust that. You protect it with truth. The only thing that keeps your heart clean is the breastplate of righteousness. Truth. Truth. Doing what's right. It's got to be protection for it. What are you going to do when someone tells you a lie or something that's not scriptural? You better be protected. And finally, right in this middle part is this is what what Paul will will is almost two parts to this this armor this powerful spiritual armor your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace there are variations of Paul's um, description here we're we're reading in context in fact it's in your script Paul consider Paul's other writings when he talks about the gospel now the translators gave the gospel a, a small g, but in the Greek, in the original Greek, there's no differentiation between um, the capitalization. So the gospel of peace could be read as the gospel that brings peace, a, a capital gospel. And in Paul's writings, the gospel always related to the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 4. The most basic definition uh, relates to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is one of peace. So in context to the scripture, you must attend to the great commission. Go, teach, spread the gospel, preach. And in this particular instance, your feet shod, going, moving, doing. This is the action of life. It becomes the defense mechanism and it entails purpose your purpose of life. A, a life of purpose is a defense against weariness and, and ambition that's wrong and misdirection. The propagation of the gospel is the intent of the power of the Holy Ghost. You should receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the Holy Ghost is not just fire insurance to keep you out of hell. It's to give you power to be a witness. The early church thought when they received the power of the Holy Ghost, it was Jesus inside of them and that he inside of them, their temple, filling their heart, the Holy Spirit would give them power to be a witness. So they all thought they were part of the outreach team. They didn't have an outreach department in the New Testament. The whole church thought that's what the Holy Ghost was for, to empower them. Today we have specialized people who say, I'm good at talking to people. Which is not true. Everyone's good at talking to people. There's no specialized talking. Some people talk more. Some people talk less. Some people grunt. These are all forms of communication. <laughs> Everybody is good at talking to someone, but we've, we've professionalized certain things so that we don't think, well, that's just not my thing. Hear me. The Holy Ghost gave you power to be a witness, and it's, it's not about your individual talent. Everybody is required to be a disciple maker. The Great Commission was not for preachers 
or pastors or the five-fold ministry. It was for the body. And the early church knew something we don't know. That's why they evangelized whole towns. That's why they, they converted whole communities and villages. That's why by the, the history tells us that Paul converted most of, of Asia, minor Asia, knowing what was going on. Paul did it. In fact, when he was finally in prison waiting to die, history tells us, read the writings of Josephus and other men, they changed the guards every few minutes because he was witnessing to them and he was converting them over and over and over again. Right before he died, Paul just reached the utopia of disciple making and they were changing the guards. They were being converted one after the other, after the other, after the other. Paul even said to his young apprentice Timothy while he was in jail, he was so driven. He indicated it was cold in that, in that prison cell and that he needed his cloak and he needed some, a few things. But he said, if you can't bring everything, just bring me my parchment and my pen. I got to write. I got to write. Some of the books that you read in your Bible that you hold on to, he was writing when he was in prison. He was writing when he was cold and alone. I wonder, what are you doing in your prison? When Paul and Silas got in their prison at midnight, they start singing the songs of the Lord. I don't know what songs they were singing. But they were singing the songs, perhaps the songs that they always sang, the songs that came from the Psalms. And they were singing, and when they got to singing, the Holy Ghost moved in. And when he got inside of the prison, there was an earthquake. Lord just flexed his muscles and broke all the doors open. Here it is right here. The defense, the gospel. Your mission is to spread the gospel. That is your purpose for life. Spread the gospel. Tell someone about Jesus. Tell them about repenting of their sins. Tell them about the love of the Lord. Tell them about the cross of Calvary. What would happen in here if everybody did the same thing? Yes. You put your feet... And you spread the gospel of peace. And maybe that's why the Bible would say, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach this gospel. This is a defense because as I'm going to show you in a moment, this very spiritual, intangible thing we're talking about has handcuffed and has captured, taken into captivity, many, many people. And then comes Paul's next step because he will say then above all, he'll give a little more credence to the next three items of this armament. Above all, taking the shield of faith. You see, the shield is your first line of defense against the enemy's devices. Faith. Faith. Stepping out on things that are not there and finding the Lord. The whole book of, I mean, sorry, the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. The hall of faith. Faith. People of faith. They believed God. They did things. They took steps of faith. They did action. Your shield, the first line of your defense is the shield of faith. Maybe that's why the devil would love to steal your faith, to destroy your faith. 
You know how he does it? He does it when you pray and what you prayed for didn't come to pass. You know how he does it? He does it when people you respect fall from grace or they become hypocrites or they do something wrong in your eyes and then your faith is diminished. And many people have generalized the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible, the Holy Ghost, the death, burial, and resurrection. They generalize it right out of their life by saying, they're hypocrites. Look at that hypocrite. It must all be wrong. Because what they've done is they've superimposed one or two fallacies or a hundred fallacies over the word of God and they nullified the word of God because of someone else's hypocrisy. Hear me. Your faith is always going to be under attack because it's your first line of defense. Yes. You give me a person with faith and I'll give you somebody who doesn't have to have everything together. They just believe. That's the armor bearer of Jonathan. When Jonathan said, look, there's 20 men. It's a garrison of Philistines. They're on a hill. Listen, the worst place to fight from is from the bottom. You'd rather be on the top. Everybody knows that. They have one sword among them. And perhaps the only other thing they might have had was a shield. And the armor bearer would have carried the shield. And the armor bearer says to Jonathan, when Jonathan says, let's go up. If they welcome us, we're going to go fight and we're going to defeat those 20 men. Two against 20 are bad odds. It's better if you have a sword. If I say, if you say to me, come on, let's go fight that guy. And I don't have anything and you got a sword. That's nice for you to say. Oh, I don't got anything. You got the sword. What he had was, there was only two swords left in the whole nation. One was with Saul. One was with Jonathan. And they were probably decorative swords. Go read it in your Bible. And the armor bearer, he didn't look down. He wasn't distraught. He turned to Jonathan and said, turn thee about any way I'm with you, heart and soul. You give me somebody with faith and they can storm any mountain because they believe that God will support them. Above all, take the shield of faith. You lose your faith, you'll start doing things that you ought not do. You'll question everything. You'll, 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 you'll heap upon yourself skepticism, which will destroy your life. You'll become analytical and logical and your logic will be against the things of God. You'll try, to, you'll try to outsmart what's happening. You'll question whether or not someone was healed. You'll find, you can pick out examples of problems in the lives of people and then wonder if it really works. Well, I know somebody who gave tithing all their life. They're still poor. They, well, they may be poor in this life, but thank God they're going to heaven. They're not a thief like you. That's my new convert. That's the place where you don't clap. It's okay. It's a good word, but thank God. You know what's right. Maybe we should have all clapped. I'm sorry. Let's all clap. Here's why I say that because people sit in, in this room and they come to Sunday and they act like they're spiritual, but they're, they're robbing God and they know they're robbing God, but they put on the face and they're, they're losing a spiritual battle because they don't have any armor on whatsoever. I just, can I just tell you this? Can't fake God out. You ain't faking God. You're faking me. I'm gullible, man. I'm, I'm gullible. You tell me you love me. I'm gullible. I believe that. But you can't fake God. Oh, 
that's unsettling. Let's move on to happier times. And take the helmet of salvation. Helmets. The helmet of salvation. Now, how unusual. Paul is going to take the entire armament of a Roman soldier and is going to apply it to spiritual things. But he's going to do it very carefully. Because, in fact, there are more armament on the soldier of, of Rome than what he's going to list. Here is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects the mental capacity to think and to reason. It protects the mental capacity to know how to be saved. Why do you think that drugs and alcohol are so prevalent in the world? Because they destroy your ability to reason and to think. See, the devil knows what he's doing. Drugs are not just letting people get high and have relief from pain, but they destroy the ability to reason and to think. Yes. And the devil uses those elements so that you cannot retain the knowledge of God. And not all of the drugs are illicit drugs. Some of them are prescribed. So the helmet of salvation wants to protect your mind. Helmets protect the mind from being penetrated by what? False doctrines and philosophies that are not of God. See, if you don't know the truth, you can be carried about with every wind of doctrine. And all of a sudden, you'll be led away from the cross of Calvary and you'll believe something that may be similar, but it's not true. Or maybe it might be completely uh, polar and it's not true. To know how to be saved, to know what salvation is, how it comes about, the blood of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, to repent, repent ye therefore and be converted. That's what the book of Acts chapter 3 says, repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So repentance leads to conversion. Baptism leads to conversion. To know salvation. How am I going to be saved? What's the process of being saved? You protect your mind with the helmet of being saved. You can get hit in the head and it doesn't matter how strong your body is. You can be knocked out. One of the greatest boxers in the world, Muhammad Ali. They say that probably a lot of his medical conditions later on in life came from being hit in the head so many times. We don't know when it happened. Of course, Muhammad Ali was very self-sufficient in his younger years, even when he rode on the airplane. And, the, and the, at the time, the airline stewardess said, Mr. Ali, uh, you, uh, you have to put on your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali re- replied to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt. <laughs> of course, she was pretty smart. And she said, yeah, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> I don't care how strong you are. If you get hit in the head, you can go down. You have a cranium to protect the soft tissue of the brain. 
And you have a helmet of salvation to protect your mind from false doctrines and philosophies that will destroy your life. There was a thing going around several years ago that, that you could rack up a credit card debt and they could not come and get you because of some fine, uh, it, was, it was some some kind of fine print writing and some people decided they would challenge the credit card companies and, and it was going around and people were racking up this debt and this was in the late 90s, they were racking up this debt and man, they, were just, they were just putting everything on the credit card. But guess what? They canceled the credit cards, they repossessed their cars, they put liens against their houses and all those people who had that dumb philosophy went into major bankruptcy and the court said, what are you talking about? We're not going to give you anything. You have taken money that's not yours. But they were convinced by a false idea that they could do this and not get caught. Just like people today think they can live immoral and not pay a penalty. Vain philosophy. Or that there's some other kind of idea other than the Bible. Because someone found a book and it dates back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Or Listen, this scripture is sufficient all by itself. You don't need the Reader's Digest. You don't need ancient manuscripts. You don't need another way. There's only one God. His name's not Allah. His name is Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith doesn't have the answer. No angel gave him another word that's contrary to this word. Jesus said, no one gets to the Father but by me. I'm the only way. I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. Jesus said to the Pharisees, search your scriptures, for in them you think you have life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus said, hey, Philip, when you see me, you've seen the Father, because all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. This is... Okay, calm, chill pill. This idea of floating or flexible salvations or multiple roads of salvation. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says. There's not just many ways to get to heaven. There's only one way. Because Paul said there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. That's it. That's it. He was manifested as the Father. He was manifested as the Son. He came in the form of the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm going to send the Comforter. I will come to you. The spirit you've got inside of you is the spirit of the comforter, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous one of Israel. That's right. So how, what does that do for me? That gives me clear thought. <laughs> gives me clear thought. Now I have salvation wrapped around my brain. My head is protected. And now when I call on the blood of Jesus, it is a powerful flow over my life because I know the blood has saving power. And now, and now the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. It's an interesting one because this is our first and only offensive weapon. It's the first and only offensive weapon. It's the spoken word. The spoken word. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I love this lesson you were teaching the morning manna, brother Foster. And you use this verse, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual and they're mighty and they pull down strongholds. Strongholds, ladies and gentlemen, that's a spiritual thing. 
Some, not all, some mental sickness is a stronghold. Some is a chemical imbalance in the brain. Some is a stronghold. Some depression is a stronghold that we need to pray with the whole armor of God and attack it to pull it down. Casting down, now here we go, imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought, we're talking about the mind, to what? Underlying obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Obedience is the pathway, it's the only way to engage spiritual warfare. Spiritual devices are only useful when you are obedient to the word. You bring into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. This is the mind. The battlefield of your life is not played out with fists or knives or guns or flesh. It's faced, it's, it's, it's waged in your brain, in your mind, your thoughts, wayward thoughts, thoughts like nobody loves me. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I, I, I'm not worthy enough. Thoughts like these people are not good enough for me. I'm better than somebody else. Thoughts that condemn you or lift you up. Thoughts that destroy your life, your relationship with the people. Have you ever thought when you saw someone laughing and they looked at you and they were away, away from you, maybe in the other side of the room, you thought, they're laughing at me. Have you ever thought that? They're laughing at me. They, they're saying something bad about me. And you come to find out they weren't talking about you at all. <laughs> Have you ever gotten stumped? You thought something that was not true for a long time and then you, you found out how wrong you were? And you built up an entire case. You stood in the shower. You brushed your teeth. You talked back to somebody that was not there. Oh, please tell me I'm not the only nut in this house here. You're driving down the road and you're saying, I'm going to tell you what. I know what you meant by that. I know what you were saying. And then you got there and, and, and you found out they weren't even talking to you. Oh, let those thoughts just take over your whole mind. They just take over your whole spirit and they consume you. I've lost entire hours thinking things that were not true and building up a case against something that didn't exist. Yes. And then thought how ignorant I am. I got to take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. When my obedience is fulfilled. I'm going to have great power because my weapons are not carnal, but my weapons are spiritual. They're powerful. It's the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus. That's a weapon. Hear me. Over every stronghold, I speak the name of Jesus. Over every sickness, I speak the name of Jesus. Because everything's going to bow in things of heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Paul wrote, God hath given him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, everything's going to bow. Hear me. I speak the blood of Jesus Christ. One drop of his blood can heal every sickness in this world. One drop of his blood is enough atonement to take away every sin and every shame and every guilt that's ever been committed. One drop of his blood can heal everything, restore everything, his name and his blood. And then the last thing I speak is his word. And that's why I've got to tell you about the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. I speak the word of God. The only way I can speak it is if I know it. 
The devil cannot withstand the word of God and even Jesus Christ in his flesh before he ever started that powerful ministry. He went to the wilderness and he fasted 40 days and at the end of those days when he was hungry and had nothing to eat, the devil came along him and Satan tempted him three times and his rebuff, the Lord's rebuff against Lucifer himself began like this. It is written... And if Jesus Christ used the written word, which only was the Old Testament, surely you've got the Old and the New Testament to withstand the wiles of the devil. Put on your spiritual warfare. Get out the sword of the Spirit and speak as an offensive weapon. Devil, you're not coming against me because I believe in the name of Jesus. Devil, you can't rise against me. Devil, you're not going to come against me because I've got power through the word of God. You ought to tell him all the promises of God are yea and amen. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He did it before. He's going to do it today. Look, here's your sword. You get out the sword. You ought to be reading this more than you read the paper. You ought to more know, know more facts and trivia about the Bible than you do about baseball and football and college basketball. You ought to know more about the Bible than anything in this life. You ought to be a little fanatical about the scripture and get inside the word and say, thus it is written, devil. You won't tempt the things of God. God's not a liar. He's not a man that should lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. The word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. I don't know. I, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I've had some dark days. I've stayed up late at night for years. I couldn't sleep. Every time I got up, I had to say a couple things. I had a couple defenses. And what I had was the word inside. No wonder why David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might sin against thee. Why? Because I've got to have something that will protect me. And I've got to have something to fight against the enemy. I'm in a spiritual warfare. You're in a spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual thing. Your brain's going to be under attack. Your thoughts are going to be under attack. Every day, you'll walk by someone. You'll imagine something that's not true. You've got to cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. That's right. I'm not going to do that without the Bible. Can't do that without the word. You got to have the offensive word. You got to put on the helmet of salvation. You better have some faith acted in your life. You need to just step up that faith and do something that you don't think you can do just to show that God will be there. And then you can go back and say, yeah, but I did that before. I can trust God again. That's right. Let me just give you a summarization now. Here it is. Be truthful. Speak the truth. This is the armor of God. Number two, it's about doing, practice what you believe. That's doing, the art of doing right things. Do right. Can you just do right? There's a little video my sister sent to me. I was going to show it tonight, but... I didn't want you to think that this is all about what the video was, but it's a little spoof, a little skit. The preacher comes out. And he's a young preacher, and he, he's mad at the congregation. And he says, stop doing bad. You've been bad. 
He said, I know, I'm not supposed to say names, but you over there, he named the guy. David, you're bad. And God says, stop it. <laughs> you got to practice what you believe. Don't just, don't just come into church and act like you believe what you're, what you're hearing when you're here. Practice it every day. That's doing right. That's, that protects your life by doing right outside of the arena of worship. Walk around, spread the gospel. Spread the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That's your purpose for living. Your purpose for life is not to make money or to gain material things. Though all those things that we do every day, they're fine as long as you understand that's not your purpose for living. Your purpose is to be a witness when we get to heaven, we'll realize how insignificant all the things we've done striving for really were. Spread the gospel. Here's the next one. Belief or believe, believe that God, believing God, believing God. It's the belief that God can do anything. And then you act on that belief. Trust me, that's a shield. It's a shield. It's a great defense. Know, then the next one, know the way to be saved. Study the scripture. Open up your Bible. Put it on your kitchen table. I hope it bothers you when you walk by and you say, I don't have time. Just leave it there. Don't put it away. Get your Bible out. Put it right. My sister used to write scriptures on her wall. She took all of her wallpaper down. She wrote scriptures all over her wall. Her four walls of her bedroom when we were growing up had scriptures. She wrote scriptures all over her walls. I wrote things on my wall too. Phone numbers. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I, maybe just one little corner. <laughs> Know the Bible. It's so easy to get distracted by my own thought. And finally, speak the word. Everybody say, speak the word. So here we go. The absence of the whole armor of God results in this fashion. You see, when you don't have the whole armor of God, which is truth, which is doing right, which is the gospel, which is belief, faith, which is the knowledge of the scripture, which is speaking the word. If you don't have it, here's, here's, what, you, here's what you devolve into. Concealment and half-truths. Motives that are unbecoming of a believer. Concealment. But David didn't say that. He said, search me, O Lord, and know me. Try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. The second thing that happens for those who don't have the whole armor of God is that public declarations mix with private hypocrisies. So we make a public declaration with private hypocrisies. Because we're saying one thing, but we're not doing righteousness. We're not doing right. The third thing is the abandonment of disciple making. We abandon that. We say that's a specialized thing. 
And so we'll talk, but we're not talking about the gospel. We'll talk about everything else but the gospel. Because we feel like we have to have some skill level to spread the love of Jesus or to make a friend and make a disciple. See, when you don't have the whole armor of God, you have no defense and you have no mechanism. Number four is doubting. There's many other ways to say it. Skepticism, even fear. Never stepping out on faith. The absence of blind belief. Always staying within the, in the lines. Never drifting out of, of bounds so that you ever put your own self in harm's way. But if you read Hebrews 11, you'll know all of those men and women took steps of faith. They did not know what would happen to them when they took the step of faith. They did it anyway. They did it anyway. Only the people who walk by faith and not by sight can really be called the children of God. Read it in your Bible. Number five, when the absence of the whole armor of God becomes the life of that so-called believer, then there's confusion. Number five is confusion. You see, salvation is reduced to subjectivism instead of exclusivism. Let me, let me unpack that for you. Salvation is exclusive. That means it's not subjective. It's not what you think or what I think. It's what God said. Salvation is found in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's not, it's not validated by vote or an electoral process. It's not invalidated by men and women who speak good things and live immorally. It stands alone. It's not subjective to you or me. Salvation, the plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ could be spoken by someone who is bitter, ugly, entangled, and hateful. It's still true. Presentation doesn't validate or invalidate the gospel. I'd like it to be presented kindly. (laughs) But when Jonah stepped on the shores of Nineveh, the Bible says, I mean, the Bible leaves it out. That he was in the belly of a whale three days in the digestive system. And the whale spewed him, which is another sort of kind word for regurgitation. Which is another kind word for upchuck. (laughs) Oh yeah, I got that from the kids. And the Bible leaves out the fact... Or the possibility that he bathed. So the prophet, their preacher, walks around stinking and he has a one sentence sermon. Repent or you're going to die. We have people today that says, that say, I'll believe it, but present it kindly to me. And wear Dolce and Cabana cologne. The gospel and the truth is not predicated on the presenter. Or the mind of the presenter. Or the presentation itself. Repent or ye shall all likewise perish. That's what Jesus said. Well. That's a tough thing. You ever get into the words of the gospels. You'll find out Jesus wasn't always so. Oh. 
he wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. He just took, looked at the Pharisees and said, you men are full, you're snakes and vipers. You're full of dead man's bones. You're rotten. You stink. Your philosophies are horrible. Bunch of hypocrites. How about that? That never showed up in the children's bedtime book. Mm-hmm. So just know that when you don't have knowledge of salvation, you're confused. You get real confused. And you reduce things to what's, what's personal. Can I just add this one point? Truth is not, it's not subjected to anecdotalism. So you might have a story, but the story, whatever your story is, doesn't mean it's truthful. I don't know if anyone's been to heaven and come back. I don't know. But just because someone says they went to heaven, they saw Jesus, and they saw all kinds of other things, I, 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 I will let that be where it's at, but I'm going to stay in the Bible. What if they go to heaven and, and, and they say, well, I came back, really the streets are not actually gold. There, there's some of the things, but I went there. So I don't have to refute that, but I'm going to stay in the Bible. Your anecdotal story doesn't validate the scripture. Yes. You're going to face this here. This is coming. All the anecdotal thoughts, all the stories about how people say they know they're saved, but they're living an immoral lifestyle, a sexually perverse lifestyle. No sin is going to go to heaven. Jesus loves everybody, but no sin is going to go to heaven. He's going to present himself a bride without blemish, without spot, without, spot, without any such thing. So all the stories about people, hear me, people have received the Holy Spirit, but then still lived after they received it, then went back to homosexuality. And today there are multiple churches, gay and lesbian churches, that promote speaking in other tongues. Can you imagine? Don't trust that. Trust the scripture. Speaking in tongues can also be a learned action. Oh boy. See, I shouldn't have said that because I only have two minutes left. And I don't really even know why I said I have two minutes because I probably are way over time. And then finally here, the unknown and unspoken word of God. That's what happens when you have an absence of the whole armor. The unknown and the unspoken word of God. The whole armor of God. Take on the whole armor of God. And everybody said amen.